seat. Thank you so much. It's beautiful to worship with you, church. And uh, we're going to now turn our attention to God's Word. We're continuing in a sermon series, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 today. The sermon series is called Open Table, and we are reflecting on the hospitality that God provides us, and then in turn, we are invited to extend to the people around us. And so... I'm excited to dive in into today's gospel story. Last week, we talked a little bit about uh, the Trinity, which I know can be a bit of a, a, a challenging concept to really fully understand. Uh, but the main uh, theme that we explored was how the Trinity is community. And so as we think about God and how God created, he created in, um, in our likeness, in the plural, meaning that he, he made us in his image, and in that image is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together as community. And so there's a way by which God and, and the Godhead is, is in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mutually serving and caring for one another, and then the extension of that is a hospitality. That goes to us, and it is the creation that is called good in each and every one of us. And so we're going to see today how Jesus uh, is able to bring that message into a messy world to incarnate and be the living word as he extends hospitality in his world. So would you join with me? We're going to go to Matthew 9. We were also there two weeks ago. And uh, just to set the stage for a moment, this is a really busy ministry season for Jesus. The beginning of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And as he heals this paralyzed man, there is a conversation uh, that is really unique, that Jesus says that he wants to forgive his sins first and foremost, and and the people around, the Pharisees around, the legal teachers around were not happy about that, and he says, which is harder, to forgive someone's sins or to say, get up and walk, and he tells this paralyzed man to get up and walk, and he does, And the scripture tells us that all the people that were there that day looked upon him and wondered how he had such authority. How was he able to forgive sins and to heal? And so moving on from that story in the the, uh, chapter 9, then we get the calling of Matthew. Simon preached a couple of weeks ago. And as he preached about uh, the calling of Matthew, one of the fun things about that story uh, is that's the testimony of the person writing this gospel. And if you remember, uh, Levi, who becomes Matthew, the, the theme that he wants to draw out of his own conversion story, we find it says this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then from there, Jesus is in a debate. He's questioned about 
fasting and the way that his disciples are behaving? And how does that work according to the, the law, the tradition, the Pharisees are upholding because his disciples are changing the rules on them, right? And so he has this beautiful teaching about new wine, the new wine that he's bringing into the world and the disciples will bring into the world and how it cannot fit into old wineskins. And so he's inviting the Pharisees to see in a new way and they're extremely challenged by this new wine that is coming into the world. And so Jesus is busy, even the chapter before this, he's done a number of healings. And so as he is busy doing the work of ministry, uh, this is our story for this morning. Let me read it to you. This is from Matthew chapter 9. While he was saying this, meaning he was in a debate about fasting, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came to him and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. So think about this. He's in this long debate with Pharisees and leaders of synagogues, and then another kind of synagogue leader comes up, this one who's in a desperate situation. His daughter, he believes, is dead. But then he says, this testimony of faith, he says, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. And so Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. And so Jesus puts a yes. He, he makes a commitment to this synagogue leader. He says, yes, I will get up, I will bring my disciples and we will go to your house and as they are on the way, it says, Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Then Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put aside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all the region. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray as we reflect on your word and its teaching for us this morning, may you open us up. May you open our hearts to receive all that you would want to give Lord, teach us what it means to know your mercy, to experience uh, the, the beloved gift of your grace that is extended in this story and to all of us here who have gathered in your name 
in this place. I pray for every person who can hear this message. Would you bless them with the truth of what they need to know about who you are and what you are doing in their lives so they can become more like you in their everyday day-to-day. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So let's reflect for a moment on this tug. You see, because Jesus is really busy. Like I said, he had committed, he was on his way. And my sense is that this tug to the hem of his garment was one that if we felt it, if we think about our day-to-day lives and our uh, rush to go here and there, our commitments that we have already made, the places in which we have already said yes, that this tug may not get the same response from us that it does from Jesus. Interruptions are hard. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of being at a, uh, a retreat up in coastal Oregon where I was with 12 others uh, who are getting trained in spiritual formation. This was like the ultimate spiritual experience, right? It was like spiritual directors and leaders and pastors from all over the place. Um, and I can remember coming back and landing at LAX and just going, oh yeah, (laughs) this is what life is actually like, right? This is the pace of where I live. And it's not like other places, right? If you go to a small town still in certain places in the world, they might put your name in the newspaper, in the local newspaper saying, hey, Peter and Katie came to visit. What a wonderful young couple that came by (laughs) and came to visit, right? But in Los Angeles and other fast-paced urban areas, boy, is this something we've intentionally chosen as a culture uh, to, in fact, not even really stop pause and acknowledge all of the people that make up our everyday lives. My hunch is that we still have neighbors that we have yet to look in the face and say hello, that walk their dogs by. Maybe you're better than me. I know some of my neighbors, but the reality is is that there is a way by which Jesus is teaching us how to pay attention in the story that we can learn, even as we are on our way and fully committed and totally busy, there is this tug. This tug as we are on our way that Jesus responds to in a way that I'm not sure we would respond to, but I can only imagine what could happen to our culture, what could happen to the world around us if we began to just simply see the way that Jesus sees the people around us. You don't need to clean your house or set your table or make everything right 
for you to begin to extend hospitality by simply paying attention to the people that are already in your world. And yes, you and I fight this attention economy that is doing whatever it can to distract us, to keep us from seeing in the way that Jesus sees the people around us, the opportunities around us to extend hospitality. And truthfully, to look a little bit deeper in our world and to say, who are those who are still on the margins? Who are those who, for whatever reason, have not been seen? Are they out there? You see, Jesus turned around. And there's a long conversation going all the way back to the Old Testament about what it means to see God's face, to see the holiness of God. And in the Old Testament, this meant that people had to come clean, that they were taught that God is holy and that his holy presence needs you to be clean in order to be in it fully, right? We can think of a place in our culture where this still happens. It's a very important place, like a surgical room. That is a place where you get really cleaned up. You don't want to have a cough or the sniffles. This is a place where we've all been in a hospital, but very few of us have been in a surgical room, because that is a place that needs to be set apart and clean so that a doctor can do their work in a clean environment so that somebody can be saved. You see, this was the concept of the temple. Many people had been in the temple, but then there was an inner room where people needed to be clean, and when they were in that room, there was a specific amount of them. They did cleanliness rituals so that they could be in this one room where they could be in the presence of God. And so this law was developed about who was clean and who was unclean, and this, this law had developed over time to the point of absurdity. And so we see in this story, there's an awareness of this woman. She knows who she is in light of this Levitical law and the way that the Pharisees are bringing it forward into the world. She knows that she's doing the wrong thing, that she's breaking the rules. And there's still a fear in her because she doesn't know Jesus yet in this way, how Jesus will deal with her. You see, she says in her mind, I can just sneak up and touch the hem of his garment. I'm not going to approach him face to face because I might get in trouble. I might experience judgment because I'm unclean. And so when the story tells us that when Jesus felt this tug at the hem of his garment and he turned around and looked at her, this is the face of God to this woman, a face of mercy. 
this woman who thought that she was going to receive judgment, but was so desperate that she was willing to do whatever it took, realized that when Jesus turns around, Jesus looks with the face of mercy. One way mercy can be defined as, it occurs when the person in whom I have the right to expect nothing gives me everything. I have the right to expect nothing. We just sang about it. I am unworthy, and yet still you love me. This extension of Jesus' mercy to this woman taught the entire crowd that day something about the face of God. This one who could forgive sins and heal the sick, but not only that has time to turn around and pay attention, who can deal with the disruptions and to see the person who needs his love more than anybody else and is willing to extend that kind of love and attention. You see, I'm more and more convinced as I learn more and more about the the Christian walk that we are simply bad judges. That we walk around and judge and label and make decisions about who should be in and who's deserving and who's undeserving because that's just the human condition. That's one of the things that we do, we learn to do from a young age is just hold our gavel we take our gavel around and we judge and we judge and we judge and we judge and we judge. And yet the invitation of our Bibles is to say, maybe you're not the best judge. What happens if you lay down your gavel? What can you see when you lay down your gavel? 1 Samuel 16, 7 is a summary statement uh, of, of the book in some ways. It just says this. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, we can't see motive. We don't know other people's stories. But for those of us who've encountered Jesus' mercy, who have seen Jesus' face and seen it as love extended in a, to a, a person who is not worthy of such love, then we can learn again how to be hospitable, Because we know that when we've encountered the judge, the judge has declared mercy on our lives. And so for this woman, she has received mercy. And think about it. Think about 
What is the number one thing you think the people that aren't in this room are thinking about what's happening in this room that's keeping them from being here? They're worried that when they come into this space, that they'll find a gavel. And yet Jesus, again, doesn't come with a gavel. He comes with mercy. And I have a picture I just want you to look at. This is a picture that a friend shared with me. It's on your bulletin or it's on the screen. I know it's a little hard to see the screen sometimes, so I'm going to put it in the bulletin. Just love this image here. This is the bent-over woman. This isn't the woman in our story. But I was speaking with a friend. This is a friend who spends a lot of her time with hurting people. And then over the last couple of years, she's gone through a lot of personal challenges herself. And it was really interesting to talk with her about what this picture meant to her. Because I think for a long time, she felt like Jesus, looking at all the suffering people that she had cared for. But she said over the last couple of years, she felt more like the bent-over woman. Where Jesus, I love in this picture the, how he's bent over just like her. He took her position. He's looking at her with such love and attention. This woman who was the walking invisible, just like the bleeding woman, these people that no one was paying attention to in this culture, and yet Jesus took the time to look them in the eyes and say, you are worthy of God's attention. And as she told me the story, I think her, she started to cry as she talked about this painting because there's this way by which when our shame hits God's mercy, it brings these healthy tears. Because we have these gavels for ourselves, don't we? We internalize our own unworthiness, and yet Jesus draws us out with his gaze of love and mercy, and he says, would you take this in its place? Would you learn to receive my hospitality, my open table? So again, let's circle back and just say, I know you're busy, I know you live in a frenetic, busy world where there's a buzz underneath the surface that until you leave this place, you don't even notice it. And yet Jesus is busy in this story. And he's willing to meet you there in the midst of your busyness and just encourage you again to be hospitable to the world, the people around you, as simple as seeing them in a new way. And my hope is that if we learn how to do this, that maybe, maybe we can help people to take heart, which is the encouragement in the story. It's not you're going to be fixed, everything's going to be better from here on out. It is take heart. You remember in John 16, we get 
a more full picture of taking heart. It says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says to the paralyzed man, take heart. Jesus says to this bleeding woman, take heart. As we see each other and really look at each other, maybe we can look each other in the eyes. Just say, take heart. I know it is hard walking this earth. And I don't want to live in a world where we carry gavels. I want to live in a world where we see each other and learn how to love. And then let God be the judge. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, will you help us, whoever those people are in our world this week, to really see them, to really pay attention Lord, I think of the ordinariness of some of my activities of coaching soccer or going to the market or um, just walking around my neighborhood playing with my kids. I pray for opportunities this week for people that are doing ordinary things to see people, to see them, to extend the attention of Jesus that is given to them to others in hospitality. Help us to do this, Lord, and become more like you in our everyday lives. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.